0: Hello, and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. We're in a series, and I'm going to jump into the last part of that series today. And Gabe asked me to share a few things, one or two things I've mentioned at the other congregation. So if you've heard them a little bit, I apologize. But just to bring clarity, why are we speaking about this, how to build a nation? Here's the answer. We don't have the answer, and we never had it even when we started preaching the series. All we're trying to know is what God loves is he loves faith. What God responds to is he responds to faith. What God calls us is a community of faith. What he loves is when we rise up in faith amidst adversity and trial, and we posture ourselves and position ourselves in faith. You know, every book that Paul wrote in the New Testament, there was always a pastoral concern. He had a concern about where the church was at. He was at a concern about the theologies that were infiltrating the church. He had a concern about the direction of where the church was going. So he would write the book of Ephesians to speak into that. He'd write into Galatians to make sure that law didn't become the big thing again. That grace would be held onto. He always had a pastoral concern, and sometimes when we do a series, we do it because there's a pastoral concern. And my pastoral concern was that people were allowing voices of negativity to grip with fear. Christians were walking around full of fear, but saying faith. We can't be that. We've got to position ourselves under his word and in the light of his promises to say, God, what does it look like in these times? There's a description for times like this in the high societies of the world. They they call them Vuka times. Has anyone heard that term before? Times of vulnerability, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. people will explain everything What those. And um, But it's interesting times to be alive. These are Vukka times. There's some uncertainty. There's some complexity. There's some ambiguity going on. There's all sorts of things going on. And, and it's our times to center ourselves and find ourselves anchored and staked to the ground in Jesus as a people of faith. That's what we're trying to do at this time. It's interesting times to be alive. There's new normals everywhere. I, I was traveling with my boy the other day, and, and he said, hey, Dad, that's lit. I'm like, lit up, lit Light lit. What are we talking now? That's cool. Then I came to church, and then Jerry sent a message frothing on the operations. What's it? Like, has he got rabies? I mean, or is he okay? And he's just very excited. Apparently, that's it's a new world we live in. It's it's all these things. It's an interesting time to be a Christian. It's an interesting time to be a South African. Right now, it's an interesting time to live in Cape Town when the army are invading. Areas and suburbs where friends of mine live. It's an interesting time to live. There were these people that were commended a long time ago about the sons of Issachar. They were these tribe that the smallest tribe that joined David's army. Only about two hundred men that came with their families to be a part of the army. And they were pronounced as the people and they were commended for being a people who understood the times because they had supported Saul and they'd navigated that awkward season between Saul and Paul. And then when David came and king, they gave themselves to king fully and wholeheartedly. They were known as some of the best soldiers and commanders because they weren't confused about the area in which they lived. They had a clarity, they had a focus, they had a vision. And so when David became king, they became one of his greatest regiments, even though they were the smallest. And right now, the church is the minority. Right now, we need to know the times. I want to just give you something of a theology that I have. It's called a the theology of place. And maybe Gabe touched on it. I want to present again. I don't believe I live here by chance. I don't think David just landed on a battlefield. Oh, there's Goliath. I think God had a plan. I don't think Daniel ended up in exile for 67 years so that one day we could get a story called David and Goliath. I mean, no, Daniel in the lion's den. Stay with me. I was testing you. Stay with me. Paul the apostle In Acts chapter 17, put it this way, from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. So he says, from one man made all nations, they should inhabit the whole earth. Awesome. says, and he marked out their appointed times, exact times, And the boundaries of their lands. Please understand in the preceding verses, he's encountered guys who've rounded up bad characters in Thessalonica, in Berea. He's uh, encountered a a crew of men and women who followed him around. They agitated up crowds to get them to stir against uh, Paul. And then he'd gone to Athens in verse 16, and they were full of idols everywhere. He hadn't chosen those, those are just where God had placed him at that time to have impact. And I think it brings something of a security that it doesn't mean I'm here forever and I might be here because I'm running, but maybe God has orchestrated my life. Maybe God has placed me as something of a Jesus man or woman of faith at this time in this nation to stand. And we're not preaching. I've had one or two people phone, one or two people have immigrated, one or two people say like, wow, we're listening to the series and we feel better. It's not about that. If you're planning Thoughts to travel and to go overseas and you're young. That's been happening for years. It's nothing new. All I'm asking you to do is have faith. What is the word of God to you? Because God is not silent. Run into a cave without the word of God. You're just a guy in a cave. Run into a cave with the word of God. You might be a David who will be a king one day. There's a difference. God wants us to know that. God wants us to hold on to that and to position ourselves in that position of faith. Why? Because there's land to inherit There's glory. There's God's kingdom. There's people who need to hear the name of Jesus on the other side. And God speaks to Joshua and says, I'm calling you to cross over. I'm calling you to a land full of giants. There were still giants there. But then why did God say, but be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Because he knows we have feeble hearts sometimes. He knows we see the giants more than we should sometimes. And we forget the battles and the victories and the water from the rock he brought and the food from heaven and the fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. We forget those so easily. I wanna ask you a question this morning that I asked a couple of weeks ago and I wanna ask it of you this morning and then I want to jump into another section of scripture. This is the question. It's a question God asked his man Elijah and he actually asked a number of men and women in the Bible. And this is the question, can you take out your phones, your notepads, your whatever you can make a note on? I just, I want you to write it down, and I want you to write there, what are you doing here, comma, your name? Just put your name there. Can you write that down? Can you put it on your phone? Can you put it, what are you doing here, Brett? What are you doing here, Aiden? What are you doing here? Put your name. Sometimes we hear preaching, it's like, that's a good word for someone. Like someone must hear that. I really should share that on Facebook. There's someone out there. I think this is a word for every man and woman in the good times and the bad. Because to not know what we are doing here at any time means we have no vision. And the Bible says men and women without vision perish. And so there's something about knowing what we're doing here and having an answer to this question that I don't just think God the Almighty asks us. I think there's another voice from the earth that asks us. Maybe ask it differently. See, now, there's my favorite story in the Bible, 1 Kings 17. It's about this guy, Elijah. He, you, you see him pitch up in chapter 16, 15. He pitches up and he just decrees as God's new prophet. He's the new man in the town. He's the prophet guy because in those days, only one guy, one prophet, and the prophets of the land would hear from God and he would speak. And the people were called to listen because we didn't have Jesus' the curtain hadn't been torn. Now the curtain's been torn. But they had Elijah. Elijah pitches up, I'm here. I'm God's man. There's going to be no water. What happens? No water. I mean, that's pretty darn exciting. Then he, he he's on the mountain and says the ravens start to feed him. Bring him food. i mean you are you can have the surname boss but you are the boss when the birds are bringing you food that's just how it works your god confidence is like god jehovah jireh i got this done they are bringing food from heaven it's sushi it's all the good stuff little birds just dropping it off for you health and safety would be a problem but other than that and then he goes on, and we see the scenario plays out in, in 1 king 17, and I absolutely love it. It's this man with God confidence amidst uh, 400 prophets of Baal. They're standing in front of him, 400. And they say, our oh God, and, 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 and they're coming up against him, and he's got such God confidence. He says, okay, guys, let's do a duel. Like this is the epic EFC fight-off duel, God's man versus the enemy's 400 dudes. Doesn't sound fair, but we're dealing with God here. So he knows. He stands there, he says, okay, make a big fire pit. Chuck wood in there, you can make that the driest wood. And they went and got the driest Roy crowns they could find, and and they 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 got it perfectly positioned. And he says, okay, now your God's got to light it. I mean, they've poured paraffin, they just little need a match. They start chanting around the fire, 400 dudes, oh, I don't know how they, oh, I don't know exactly how they chant, but they just went, oh, 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 oh. And they do that from morning to lunch. And then it says, Elijah gets up, he says, come on, guys, shout louder. So they whip out their swords and they start cutting themselves. And the Bible says, and they're shouting and they're cutting, and the blood from their cuts starts to flow into the veins of the fire And they keep going all day. And all day they shout. And Baal does what? Nothing. And Elijah, with God confidence here, says, okay, guys, come over here. And the crowd moves over to him. Camera's following live film, there was no internet then, and um, and Elijah doesn't get fancy, he doesn't, he says actually, you know what guys, that wood's very dry, chuck water on it, so they throw a bucket away, I think this guy's nuts, he says one more round, water all over, one more round, three rounds of water, so it says water's filling up the toast. so there's wood lying in water, it's wet, and everyone's going, this guy's nuts. What does he do? Just praise to the God of heaven. The God of heaven. Almighty. The result 400 prophets of Baal killed in that moment because they were proven to be liars to the people. The people begin to see the power of God. So obviously, the king of the day is not happy. This wasn't his plan. That wasn't his plan for his 400 prophets of Baal. But, but can we just position ourselves there for now? You, you've. You've declared there'll be no water, there's no water. You sat on a mountain and God fed you sushi from above. I like sushi. And then 400 of the enemy's best prophets came up against you and they could do nothing. And God did it with one simple prayer. How would you be feeling? I, I would think I'd be feeling like I could literally take on anything. I have a fear factor that's here and a faith factor that's here. I have confidence in my God could do anything. Let's read the very next verse from 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message, just a WhatsApp to Elijah to say, "'May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, "'if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life "'like that of one of them.'" one of the prophets of Baal. It's a threat. It's a message saying, I'm coming after you, and if by this time tomorrow I haven't killed you like you killed the 400 prophets of Baal, actually it's on me. Verse three, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord," he said, "Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors when they lay down under the bush when he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, "Get up and eat." He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The, Lord, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, "Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you." So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There, he went into a cave and spent the night. See, that's what men do when they get full of fear they run to caves, they're called man caves. They make them nice, they put TVs in there, little Xboxes, they're called man caves. He rented there, spent the night. The Lord appears. To Elijah. That's what it says. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? When God speaks, it's an important thing, and a prophet knew that. And he thought he could run from God. He ran to a cave, but he couldn't hide. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. God speaks to him and says, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus when you get there. And God begins to speak to him and challenges him to go back. I just want to take that picture. The day before, Elijah, 400 prophets of Baal, fire over wet wood. I mean, most of us would just take a good fire on a good day with fire lighters. He gets wet wood to burn because God is with him. His confidence would be here. There's something about having confidence in our God that's important. It's called faith. It's called faith. It's not this worked up confidence. And the very next day, he gets one message from Jezzy. And Jezzy sends a WhatsApp, where Jezzy gets a message to him, says, I'm coming after you, and in one day, I'm going to get you. And one little Jezebel chases him. Out into a cave in the middle of a desert that he lies under a broom bush and says, I want to die. I'm like, how do you get from there to there? No, it happens very, very, very easily. Gabe spoke about Jonah two weeks ago. No difference. No difference. God asked him the question What are you doing? I see psychologists would call it fight or flight. Some of us learn to fight. Mr. McPherson can throw a punch or two. I'll take him, but he's learned a few things. And and, uh, he knows how to fight, so he'll probably fight others respond I've got a 10 year old who likes to fight he's the smallest of everyone in the world but he'll take on anyone in the world that's his nature he's learned that it's the way I don't know circumstance situations environments have taught him that my eight-year-old I'm hearing them wrestle one day on the trampoline and Judah is smashing his two-year younger brother who's much bigger than him and says his younger brother shouts out Judah leave me I'm a lover not a fighter He's learned that fighting is not his way. He's going to do the other way. But psychologists call it fight or flight. The Bible calls it fear or faith. And we've got to get in a posture, and it starts in here. I can posture my body, but my heart can be running for the mountains. God says, I want Elijah. I'm going to take him, and I'm going to allow him to get all the way to Mount Horeb. You know what another name for Mount Horeb is? Sinai, a place where God's glory came. He says, I need you to go to my presence. And I love in Isaiah 55, the the prophets, he's talking about a whole bunch of things, saying the enemy's coming, the enemy's coming. And for the first seven, eight verses, going the enemy's coming. And I love the way the the passion translation just stops there and says, pause in his presence. We've actually, I think we've got it uh, somewhere. It says, pause in his presence. No, I need you to pause. I need you to posture yourself. And then he starts to speak the promises of God into the circumstance and the situation. But I want to ask that question of you today as I've asked that question of myself. What are you doing here? See, there's there's two potential emphasis, emphases. Sorry, English teachers. What are you doing here, Elijah? That's the one the enemy asks you. Says, You in South Africa, what are you gonna do, Mr. McPherson? What are you gonna do, Tim, in South Africa? What are you gonna do at this time, Billy? What are you gonna do? You're not president. You're not a CEO, Lonnie. You've not got billions you can turn out. What are you going to do? And then there's another question that comes, that God the Father and the enemy of what are you going to do? What are you doing here? Now, I believe that God can settle that and give me clarity and understand God has moved my steps. And years ago, I never thought I'd live in Cape Town. I live in Cape Town and I have a kid who's more Afrikaans than English because God placed us in Cape Town. And when his brothers come at him, he tunes him, lost my eight. (laughs) And when we're watching Chalks versus the Cheetahs, he shouts for the Cheetahs. Why? Because God orchestrates the steps of his people and his exact times and exact places. Why? Because he wants his glory. And it's not going to come by the thunder and the lightning and the clouds. It's going to be the little whispers where we reveal that God speaks. That's all I'm trying to post you. And these questions come as, what are you doing here? And if you think, well, I can do nothing. Well, yes, you're right, but there is a God in heaven, Elijah, who could sort it out, 400 prophets of Baal, you didn't do that. And one message from Jezebel. What messages have you received the last week, the last month? What Facebook messages have put fear inside you? Share, 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 share. What WhatsApp groups, I, I hate street WhatsApp groups. I'm just confessing, if you're in like the neighborhood watch, I hate them. My one was a problem, so I'm off it. And I told them why. So I don't need someone sending me messages. So even though they're not, God will use other voices to be a Jezebel to my ears. My position is one on my knees before the God of heaven, before the only one who can actually do anything. And say, so God, I can actually do nothing. But when I'm in you, what are you doing here? See, I'm not here. I'm an ambassador of the king of kings. I have the spirit of God inside of me. We were talking with my kids yesterday in the car, explaining that we have God inside of us. That's what I am doing here. And God asked Elijah, and he says, Elijah, do you remember what happened 40 days ago? And now you're in a cave. What are you doing here? I didn't bring you here. You're running. It's called Rebellion. You know what the Bible says about rebellion in Psalm 68? The rebellion says he'll add the lonely into families. Very next line, the rebellious will live in a sun-scorched place. Where does Elijah run? He runs to a desert. Man does it all the time. Sin makes us do it. Fear makes us do it. You know why fear is a problem? Fear is a problem because the Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is there, it cannot be fear. So when I keep positioning myself in the presence of God, Fear leaves. I don't have to make it flee. I don't have to beat it away. I don't have to bind it out of Cape Town. I don't have to do any of that stuff. I don't have to pour oil over myself. I just have to be in the presence of God. And when I position myself back in the presence of God, I sing, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. When I open my eyes, I see pain. When I open my eyes, I see women who are fearful. When I open my eyes, I'm concerned about my children. When I fix my eyes on you, Jesus, you're beautiful. And faith begins to rise up. It's a currency this world can never give you. It's a currency on which you can make decisions that will have internal ramifications and not just here and now. It's a different currency to what the world could ever understand. And I'm in that, I'm in that, I'm 40 years old. It's been taking a while to, I've had a slip disc this year, which reminded me I'm 40 years old. It happens apparently. I'm in that zone. People are got young kids. Their careers are just peaking and I'm seeing friends make big decisions that have implications and they have implications of generations and I'm not saying that I'll never leave this nation I'm just saying right now God's called me to stand in faith and I'm asking you to do the same and maybe your faith takes you somewhere that's amazing all I'm saying make sure it's faith because yeah. there's a God in heaven who wants to bless you and he wants you to know his will and his ways and he says I'll do that but I want to take us back to the guy Gabe spoke about two weeks ago because the book of Joan is cool it's four chapters Is it the first time we hear of Jonah, son of Amittai? It's not. I want to read to you a little section out of 2 Kings 14. Jeroboam, you see this guy, there's a bad king in town. And the bad kings are ruling and God's people are getting slaughtered and they're getting sorted. Didn't really make that, it just worked. And and they're in trouble. They're in trouble. And God needs a God-man to hear his word and to bring a word to a bad king you know what he didn't try to do he didn't try to get him saved or get him changed he just needed God's people protected in this time so that's what's going on here 2 Kings 14 verse 23 in the 15th year of Amaziah son of Joash son king of Judah Jeroboam son of Joash king of Israel became king in Samaria and he reigned for 41 years He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. Let's just stop there. He did evil. He's a bad man. He's a bad king. And he's in control of the land. Verse 25. He, who him, the bad king, the evil king, he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea. Well, how? In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from gath The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering there, was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said He would blot them out His name of Israel from under heaven, He saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Joash. I love the scripture because you know it gets the glory from God in the Bible for saving God's people and restoring their boundary lines, an evil king. But how did it come about? A Godman heard a voice of God, said, "The word of the Lord came to Jonah." And Jonah delivered it. This is before. His little run into the whale see sometimes it's easier to deliver words to others than it is to receive a call to be the vehicle this one he got to just deliver the word to someone else and that King had to stand before God say I'm gonna restore the boundaries what is your role because I can ask you what you're doing here but I can tell you what I think the role of Christians is in this time in South Africa The role of Christians is to do what happened there, restore the boundaries of God's people. To restore the boundaries that we would be people who would find ourselves in the presence of God and we go into the marketplace, we go into homes where marriages are broken, we go into whatever situation or circumstance they want to do away with a 100 jobs. We would be ones who would find ourselves in the presence of God, find word from the Lord and deliver word from the Lord, sometimes to evil kings and bosses. You know what happens? The boundary lines that had become small under the oppression, still under oppression, become wider. What is the very essence of salvation? It comes from a word named yassa. It means a spacious place. Salvation means a spacious place. See, we can live in oppression because we operate under a different currency, a currency of faith that positions myself in the presence of God amidst the chaos of our world. And in that currency, I begin to operate. I begin to live. I begin to function with my finances, my time, my energy, my resources, whatever it is. When I place it in that currency, God begins to work. And God can speak and God can use Jonah, a guy who... After this becomes a coward who runs because of prejudice in his heart. God used him to deliver a word so an evil king would restore the boundary lines to God's people. We walk into homes where marriage is chaos. You know what you can do? Because of a word from the Lord, you can restore the boundary lines. People's lives, they've been abused and broken and walking around fearful. Now you restore the boundary lines. Just one word from God doesn't say it was a profound word it literally doesn't tell us much about the word just says Jonah delivered the word and in the last five minutes I want to give you how do you process because the question I'm getting asked is well how do I know I'm supposed to live here how do I know I'm not here out of rebellion the Bible I actually don't know your will of God story it's the question I get asked by most believers I said how do I know with the will of God should I marry him shouldn't I I'm not looking at Taylor for any specific reason at all. I'm not saying she asked me that. And um, <laughs> Don't turn the mic off, it's, and, um <laughs> But it is a big question. I've said it many times, but I've got four letters I've written to myself. They're not for anyone else. They're not for Candace, They're for me. They're letters when I made big decisions in my life. I wrote a letter to myself to remind myself. What I needed to remind myself, which was the word of the Lord had spoken. The Lord had spoken. You don't need many. It's not every day. What colour socks should I wear today? I think He lets you choose. But where you should live, who you should marry, what you should give your energy, your time, your finances, your resources to, you need to hear God. And here's what the Bible says about that process. It's not complicated. He says this in Romans 2, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. What do you want? I want the good, perfect, and pleasing will of the one who made this earth because I can make a thousand decisions on the earth, but I'd rather have the will of the one who made it, who is my father. I want his will that is good, perfect, and pleasing. It might not always seem good, perfect, and pleasing to me, But it always is for me. And when I tell my son, don't run across the road, he wants to get to the other side. I'm saying, don't. Why? Because I have a will for him that is to stay alive, to live longer. We're not always good with this. And then it says, well, how do you pull it back? So it says, it lands in a good place. It says, but you can test and approve what the will of the Lord is. If you need to test and approve what the will of the Lord is, whether you should be living here or living in an island somewhere, I don't know. But test and approve if you want the will. It says, how do you do that? It says, do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but by the renewing of your mind. Oh, we can do those things. Yes, you can. Do you know what a conformer is? Conformers that, that like a horseshoe thing they put where you put leather on, you start beating it, and the leather starts to take shape so that you get fancy shoes like Andrew McPherson's, where they hold shape because they've been put over a conformer and beaten into a shape. And I'm telling you the voices that we're allowing to speak to us when it's not the word of the Lord, those voices beat us into a shape that is not the shape the Father had in mind. It looks different, it might look shiny to the world, but when the father looks, he doesn't see the design he wanted in place. Another way of a conformer is that when an eye gets sick to hold the shape of the eye until they can put a false eye and they put a conformer that holds the cavity in place. It conforms that space. I'm telling you, there are more words on Facebook conforming the church than the Bible. And it's a problem. And it's the reason we have sometimes a schizophrenic church that doesn't know how to encounter or come to a father who has a will for our lives. Why? Because we've been conformed by another preacher, a preacher of this world, a preacher whose version of his gospel wants to lead to death and brokenness. And there is a preacher of heaven who says, I've got life and life abundant for you. Will you allow yourself to be conformed by my word? Oh, I'm just, I'm waiting for a word from God. Well, have you read the Bible? No, I'm waiting for a word from God. Read the Bible and watch God speak. Watch him. He's not silent. He'll show you where to live. How to live. And he'll answer the question, what are you doing here? And then it says, by the renewing of your mind. There's many things that are fashioning our minds and conforming our minds and i'm telling you, you want to hear the voice of your father renew your mind in his presence the problem is what we do is we go, "Hey, brett pastor brett i'm just gonna sit this is what's happening in my life make a call his answer his job's not to do that please don't put that on him on me on anyone else i'm not god we keep running to prophets because we, we see Jonah and we see these guys. No, yes, there are gifts of prophets, but I'm telling you, God's given us something even greater. It's called his spirit that's inside of us, that leads us, that speaks to us. And every single believer who's been washed by the blood of Jesus has access to that place. And the Bible says, if you would not be conformed, if you would renew, and if you would pour yourself before that place, he will speak and you can test and approve. We got one or two scientists in the room. They know what it means to test and approve. Test and approve what the will of God is. Young people making big decisions in your life. Long for the will of God. It's only one thing that sustains. It's not a trust fund, not an education system. It's not the promises of government, of any government. There's only one thing that will sustain into eternity. It is the blood and love of Jesus and the will of a glorious Father above. It's the only thing that sustains. And I want the sustaining water of God to wash over my life. And I want it to wash over yours. We're going to take communion right now. Maybe i can ask Mish to jump up. But but, uh, is that all right? I, I, please. Friends, I, I've had one or two friends get a little insecure who listen to our podcast from other churches who have moved or are moved. It's not what I'm preaching about. I'm just trying to help the church as a pastor with a pastoral concern, posture ourselves properly. I'm teaching a little 10-year-old who wants to play rugby and he's smaller. I'm saying, you've got to, if you want to tackle a big boy, you've got to posture yourself properly. You've got to get strong. You've got, to, you've got little legs, but you can use them. Use them. You've got to strengthen your core and you get in. And you can take down big boys, but you've got to posture yourself properly. And right now I'm concerned at the posture of the church. It's not a powerful posture. It's a posture where the enemy looks. And you can just go like this. I was playing with, I think it was Gerard or Michael the other day. And they were standing and while we were praying it was Jerry. We were praying. When I pray, I want to get, I get amped. I want to warrior this thing. Jerry was standing with his leg up on that chair. Okay. I just touched him. And it wasn't the glory of the Lord, it was my fingers. We've got to posture ourselves. And the only currency and posture we have is called faith. And it doesn't make sense to everyone. It makes sense in his presence and in his presence alone. Young people getting married we need faith. And a good God who has the promises of heaven available to you. Whether it's finances, children, promises, locations, dreams. He's got them. They're good and they're perfect and they're pleasing. And we come and take communion together? Is everyone good? This week we get to feast and to pray for miracles. <laughs> Not because of anything other than this blood and this body that was broken and bruised. There's no other way to faith actually than to stand in awe of the sacrifice there's no good decisions there's no we don't have a gospel of principles no there are hopeful ways but our gospel is a gospel of faith doesn't make sense to everyone makes sense to those who've encountered Jesus and Jesus as we drink of these emblems that remind us of your body that was broken and your blood that was poured out pray, Spirit of God, speak to fears that rise up in the caverns of our soul. Let the promises of heaven speak louder. Let the blood that speaks a better word sing over hearts and anxieties and fears now. Speak, Father. I pray for an appetite to hear your voice, to grow in our midst, to grow in our hearts, to grow in my heart. God, I want to hear your voice clearly. I want to make decisions that bring you joy. I want to walk in your will. Because I honestly believe it's the only way that I will be sustained in all seasons, all trials, all challenges. So as we drink of this wine juice as an emblem of your blood and eat of this body, we're reminded there is no one like our King. There is no one who comes even close. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. We praise you, King. Let's take of his body now. Just while eyes are closed, if that's all right, the early church believe, and I believe, as we gather in faith and we take communion, Jesus is here is with us. Maybe you need healing from the damage of anxiety. Maybe your body needs healing. Maybe your mind to be renewed actually needs healing. I want to testify of a God who heals. Two weeks ago was the first time that in worship I watched my wife pick up my little boy in three years. Was for three years she's had pain and brokenness but God is a healer God moves and to see the surprise on a little six year old boy's face who's actually not been picked up by mom for years because of pain I want to tell you God is faithful He's kind He's not going to take away the three years but He will be with you, He'll never leave you and then He'll move His hand Or he'll speak or he'll touch. And healings begin to happen. And I ask Jesus, would you heal bodies and hearts and minds and thinking processes in this room? I ask Jesus right now, would you restore us to your design? God, just so that we would be sons and daughters positioned in faith to hear you, to see you, to know you as we are loved by you. We thank you, King.